This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for making AOA a part of your day here on this Friday, July 29th. Taking a look out at the world of agriculture, we're seeing a rally take place on the Chicago Board of Trade. Grains are up pretty well across the board. In fact, it looks like we've got one contract of rough rice in the red on the board today. Everything else is in the green. We'll discuss that in segment three with Arlen Suderman, the Stonex chief commodities economist. In segment two, we're going to talk about the Water Resources Development Act. This is a bill that Congress passes every two years, and they actually got it done. Uh, they, they got it passed. It has passed the House and the Senate. Deb Calhoun, Senior Vice President of the Waterways Council, will join us in segment two to talk about exactly what WRDA, W-R-D-A, the Water Resources Development Act, does and why its passage matters, particularly for agriculture. At the end of the show, we're going to get fired up about the Farm Progress Show just about a month away. Coming up here at the end of, uh, end of August, first day of September, we're going to talk with Matt Youngman. Farm Progress Show Director, as well as Chris Neider, the Marketing and Training Devel uh, Director at Trelleborg, where AOA will be broadcasting live throughout the Farm Progress Show. Before we get to all of that stuff, we are going to talk about weather. Joining me today to bring us up to speed on everything that's going on in the world of weather is Ag Meteorologist Greg Solia. You see him every weekend on This Week in Agribusiness. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks, Mike. Nice to be with you here on, uh, well, we certainly hope some better weather news for some of the drought areas of the Plains and Corn Belt, uh, but uh, folks looking for a continuation of this very comfortable air mass as it applies to the Corn Belt, uh, well, things are going to be changing around here. We'll talk about it here with you over the next few minutes. Well, let's talk about that comfort. Greg, across the central part of the U.S., we have seen temperatures moderate here over the past several days. Today, I pulled it up, it looks like, from really Oklahoma north. Highs are in the 80s. It's going to be comfy today. How long does that stick around? Well, it uh, sticks around for the just about, well, the rest of the day today. The heat's been suppressed southward, even south of the Red River Valley of the south. And of course, in that transition zone, we've had, and it continues to be this morning, a great morning weather-wise because it's raining in western and southwestern Kansas, the Oklahoma panhandle, parts of New Mexico and Colorado. So some drought easing, certainly not ending, but drought easing rains uh, down there. But unfortunately, that's the, that's the western flank is some of these rains that generated almost a foot of rain. It's the same boundary that did the flooding around the St. Louis area, the I-70 corridor, Missouri, and uh, over the past 24 hours, upwards of 10, 12 inches in the uh, areas of eastern Kentucky. So this uh, system has some history. That uh, hot air has loads of moisture with it. But again, the reprieve as it applies to the plains is one day in making as we get back up into the low to mid 90s over big sky country today, triple digit readings and more lightning generating thunderstorm activity. Lightning and no rain means fires on the increase in the Pacific Northwest. And that hot ridge, as we call it, lined up along the continental divide is forecast to work eastward first into the northern plains here uh, tomorrow over much of the plains come Sunday. And by Monday, Tuesday, we are locked into another round of heat wave weather conditions with probably some triple digit readings as far north as maybe just east of the Black Hills and from there to the Corn Palace, Sioux Empire region, and probably encompassing parts of the western and southwestern Corn Belt by the middle part of the week. So that hot uh, air mass, once again, forecast to rear its ugly head across the Plain States areas and, and probably show some expansion eastward across a better part of the Corn Belt the second half of next week, too. Okay, good to know, Greg. It certainly sounds like the market is taking a look at this forecast, that hot and dry wave coming in. When you expect that to hit, how long are those extended above normal temperatures going to be here across the, the heart of the growing region? Uh, well, at least as it applies to the Corn Belt, probably well into the first week to 10 days of the uh, month of uh, August. You know, we talked about this and will on this weekend's edition of This Week Agribusiness. Uh, and the only way this time of the year to generate these, uh, you know, thunderstorm and organized rains, and sometimes it's too much of a good thing, as we saw over parts of the plains, sections of the Corn Belt the past week to 10 days. There's an area in east central Illinois that has uh, severe drought conditions, uh, drier than we'd like to see over scattered areas of the uh, eastern Corn Belt. And 
and some expanding brightness out of the western Corn Belt. So if this heat uh, lasts well into the beginning first week to 10 days, 12 days of the month of August, and uh, the only uh, organized rains are these what we call ridge riding, high wind, hail generating storm clusters that come out of the Dakotas, out of the, the Pacific Northwest, down through the Great Lakes region into the far eastern Corn Belt. So that's the only way we can make rain. Sometimes it comes at a price or fronts that stall out. And we get these systems that kind of train one downpour after another. Don't think that's the story for the Corn Belt. But again, parts of the southern plains, the southeast are in line over the next at least couple of days for more rainfall. So it's in between where we sit. It's has versus have nots regarding rainfall here, uh, probably out the next 10 days to two weeks. If you're in the drop mode and you haven't had much rain, uh, that's pretty much the story. If you've had the rain, uh, there's a saying that wet grounds begin a wetter weather pattern. We'll probably continue to see that over parts of the northern plains, parts of the northern and far eastern most, uh, most Corn Belt, central and western and southern areas of the Corn Belt either don't need uh, rain, any more rain, or they're in dire need of some rain. So it's that range of rainfall and wet ground conditions or dry ground conditions that we have across the plains and Corn Belt. Greg, you talk about the southern plains there. They do need that moisture that's coming. I just pulled up the drought monitor uh, from yesterday, and it continues to expand there across the southern plains this moisture that you're eyeing this train across oklahoma kansas and missouri could it be enough moisture to substantially reduce the amount of drought or is it going to be enough to just keep them in a holding pattern kind of keep them in a holder pa holding pattern there may be some local nuances where they might uh, by next thursday see a slight improvement on the drought monitor uh we've seen some improvement over eastern kansas and we had that in eastern oklahoma for a while and then there was nothing going on moisture wise improvement into the uh, western areas of those two states so there'll be maybe some modest improvement there but as a whole no this is not an end to the drought by any means again some local modest almost psychological improvement uh, meanwhile you know you had uh, areas that i-70 corridor that had 5, 10, 12 inches of rain. We see another 10-inch rain system uh, over the uh, parts of the Tennessee and lower Ohio valleys over the past uh, couple of days. So that uh, feature continues on. And by the way, for that cleanup and recovery that they'll have to do in some of these waterlogged and drowned out and flooded out areas, you know, these dew points are going to be off the charts. Well, along with the, you know, 100 degree heat, it'll feel like 110, 115. Uh, and these heat index values over the plains and Corn Belt locales as well. So that's another um, thing to monitor in the days to come around here. And there's no sign of this real hot ridge expected to really break down or come to a conclusion, probably, as we mentioned it least into the first half of the month of August may begin to retract a little bit. And that's when we anticipate maybe mid-month better organization of the rains over the northern plains and parts of the Corn Belt. But those rains may come too late to matter, especially in some of the later planted soybeans. Yeah, those later planted crops plus moisture plus pushing up on harvest could be a long fall for some growers in those wet areas. Greg, you mentioned the cleanup recovery happening. I did see that death toll down in those uh, Kentucky flash floods have now reached 15 people. Is there the risk with this hot ridge humid ridge continuing that those sudden downpours could continue uh yeah they are in line at least uh, probably a little farther south towards the tennessee kentucky line but uh, areas from arkansas where they actually need the rain if i saw the crop reports uh, correctly monday 95 98 short and very short in their topsoil moisture reserves so you know but then to get these downpours there tends to be more of a runoff issue than anything but from there into the tennessee valley more rains and we'll just enjoy this comfortable weather while it lasts the heat, my friend, will be on from the plains to the Corn Belt, including some of the drier areas of the Corn Belt here as we move on to the weekend and much of next week, too, and beyond. All right, lots to watch on the weather front. Greg Solier, meteorologist of This Week in Agribusiness. Thank you for joining us, Greg, and we'll watch your full forecast tomorrow on This Week in Agribusiness. Have a great day, sir. We'll... Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up choose the proven performance of the roundup ready extend crop system featuring high yielding extend flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of extend to max herbicide with vapor grip technology elite genetics triple herbicide tolerance flexibility that delivers results backed by 25 years of innovation that's the roundup ready extend crop system the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. 
From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, lately on the program, we have been talking a lot about the Farm Bill. Of course, that is the every five-year piece of legislation that authorizes and shapes a lot of the funding that goes into agriculture over the, the next five years, the life of the uh, of the bill. We talk about that in ag, but there are similar type of bills that must be reauthorized past every so often in order to keep their sectors really moving forward. And the inland waterway system is no exception. Every two years, Congress is tasked with passing the Water Resources Development Act. And despite all of the dysfunction we hear about in Washington, D.C., folks, they got it done. Both the House and the Senate have put this through. Joining me today to fill us in on exactly what is in this year's Water Resources Development Act and why it means is Deb Calhoun. She's a senior vice president over at the Waterways Council. Deb, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike, for having me. Before we get to WERDA, let's talk about the Waterways Council just briefly. Deb, what is it that WCI works on there in Washington, D.C.? Yes, uh, we represent um, a coalition of voices that are focused on an efficient, modern, well-maintained inland waterway system. So we represent those commercial operators, shippers of all those ag and other important commodities moving on the inland waterways, ports conservation organizations, and building trades. I, again, all focused on uh, making sure that that infrastructure is as modern and efficient as it can be so that we can continue to use this important part of the transportation supply chain. Indeed. And keeping that system modern, keeping it repaired is certainly a tall order. Of course, these things have sort of fallen through the cracks, but with the focus on supply chains, this year, WERDA passed with very few problems. Deb, are you excited about uh, seeing this legislation move across the finish line? 
We are excited, yes. Uh, this week, we saw WERDA be passed in the Senate by a vote of 93 to 1. You know, infrastructure issues have always been a bipartisan issue, so uh, we're grateful for the fact that it did pass in both the, the Senate this week and then on June 8th, it passed in the House. Um, and that things are moving along in, in our area anyway within Congress. Um, the bill is uh, important to us, and we're appreciative of the fact that it continues on its every two-year cycle. It has fallen off there uh, with a seven-year gap between 2007 and 2014, but we're back on for the last several years, every two years. Um, what we're focused on in the good news category is there is a cost-share adjustment proposal that was actually offered by uh, Illinois Senators Tammy Duckworth and Senator Dick Durbin uh, to permanently adjust the inland waterways cost share for construction and major, and major rehabilitation of our projects uh, to 75% general revenues and 25% from our dedicated inland waterways trust fund that is funded by a, uh, a tax on commercial operators uh, on diesel fuel that's burned during operations. The existing um, cost share is 65%, 35%. So um, this was included in the Senate bill. It was not included in the House bill, but as the Senate and House now confer on, um, on the two bills and come to agreement on the final bill, we feel uh, very positive that that permanent cost share will be included in the final bill. Um, if it were to be, it would significantly increase our funding for our navigation construction programs, uh, really give us more time to, uh, to move those projects to the left to completion and then be, um, be able to provide those national economic transportation benefits to the nation each year that those, um, that those lock projects become operational sooner. Deb, with that cost share, the switch adding 10% additional from general revenues rather than from the specific fund, does this it, is this helping the waterways by allowing that fund to stretch farther? But in exchange, are we relying more on appropriations in each additional year from Congress? Well, yes, and, and, and frankly, we rely, whether we have, um, you know, this cost share change or award a bill every two years or a bill that is, um, you know, important, uh, pleasing to us with, with, with what's included, we do rely on annual appropriations. Uh, the annual appropriations fund, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, that maintains and modernizes the inland waterway system. So they're always dependent upon those appropriations numbers. Um, but yes, there is a tie between um, between what happens in this particular cost share uh, change, if it were to become law, and um, and higher appropriations. And we continue at WCI to strive for the highest. Uh, least um, full and efficient funding and full use of the in the waterways trust fund so that the Corps can complete those projects um, on a timeline that, um, again, as I said, will return those cost savings to, to the shippers and to the nation. I'm really glad you brought that up because WERDA is is kind of unique in terms of the bills we discuss on this program in that this is a policy bill, as you mentioned. It's allocating it I guess I'm going to throw this ball back into your court, Deb. We've got this bill, and it's approving various amounts of dollars for different projects. But as you mentioned, it's not actually putting those dollars into the project. So this word of bill I see right here, we've got $30.9 billion going to a multi-year flood protection project in coastal Texas. But we're going to need next year Congress to allocate that $30 billion in order to actually do the work. Am I understanding how it operates correctly? Uh, that, that's correct. There is a tie with, um, you know, with appropriations to be able to carry out uh, the work. And, you know, what, what we know to be true is that, you know, more than 80% of the locks and dams on the inland waterways are uh, just, you know, past their design life of, of 50 years. So that's significant. Um, you know, we had great success in the infrastructure bill. Uh, $2.5 billion went to specifically to the inland waterways. And so that was a tremendous shot in the arm for us to be able to, you know, continue to get a, an even bigger jump, uh, you know, above appropriations, annual appropriations uh, to complete these projects. And, and one uh, project was funded to completion, Lock and Dam 25, 
on the Upper Mississippi River in the Infrastructure and, and uh, Investment Jobs Act. So um, really, you know, this is a good news story all around, and uh, we're hopeful that we will get a final word of bill negotiated with that cost share change across the finish line within the next couple of months. And I would imagine with a bill like Word, similar to the Farm Bill, there's uh, probably very little risk that the president would ever veto it. Is that kind of how you operate? Well, as I said, infrastructure has always been a bipartisan issue, and um, and we did see that in the infrastructure funding bill as well. Um, so we we don't fear that the president would veto this bill particularly. Um, I'm not sure that it's happened, um, but I can recall. And so um, we, we feel really good about it. Um, you know, as I said, the cost share uh, proposal was not included in the House version, but um, uh, just recently, July 7th, 75 members of, um, of Congress sent uh, the chairs and the ranking members of the House T&I Committee, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and the Senate Envi- Environment and Public Works Committee a letter urging them to support that. So 75 members of the House support that, and so we feel really good about um about the prospects for um, for a final world border bill that would include our uh, proposal of the F7525 cost share adjustment. All right. Hopefully that makes itself through the conference committee. Deb, before we let you go, you mentioned the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, the funding that was provided to the inland waterways. Have you seen much, uh, many shovels hit the dirt? Has the ground started to move on any of those funded projects or are we getting close in some areas? Uh, not not quite yet. Uh, government is a little bit slower than that. <laughs> but um, the money was just allocated. And so um, for many of the projects, um, a lot of the PEB funding, you know, the pre-construction engineering design work is being uh, worked on and contracts are being leaded. So uh, we will soon see dirt moving, yes. And that's a great thing for the waterways and certainly for America. We've waited a long time for a significant infrastructure bill. We certainly have. And Deb, final question here before we let you go. As you take a look at appropriations, that is where we seem to run into struggles with keeping the maintenance and repairs up to speed. Does Congress sound like it's on board with matching the appropriations needed to keep these issues uh, at forefront of our minds? Well, yes. Uh, Just yesterday, as a matter of fact, the Senate Appropriations Committee finally released um, all 12 of its appropriations bills, the text of those bills, and that included the FY23 Energy and Water Development Bill that funds the Corps. Um, overall funding for the Corps' Civil Works mission was $8.7 billion. That was an increase of about $414 million above the FY22 appropriated level and uh, just over $2 billion above what the President requested in his FY23 budget request. Um, we um, hope to see that those numbers will continue to rise. Um, you know, the, the core does a lot of critical work. And so um, we'll look forward to highest appropriations ahead. All right. Hopefully those are coming, folks. If you want more information about issues around inland waterways, visit the website at waterwayscouncil.org. We've been speaking with Deb Calhoun, Senior Vice President. Deb, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. And folks, stick around. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex, will join the show when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 
The weather continues to be the main driver right now for the grain sector. With that hot and dry weather going into at least the middle of August, forecast models continue to show a strong high-pressure ridge beginning to build in the central plains next week with its influence stretching east across much of the Midwest. Some showers are expected to develop as a weak cold front drifts across the crop belt next week while the high begins to build, but rainfall totals are expected to be relatively light. Intense heat is expected to focus on Iowa and surrounding areas by midweek, including triple-digit readings during the day with overnight lows in the mid to upper 70s. Now, that is not good for corn grain filth, nor is it good for holding on to and filling soybean pods. Now, it would be presumptuous to say that this will lead to crop failure, and in fact, we could see the high temporarily retrograde a bit after the first week to allow temps to moderate with rain chances in central and eastern portions of the Midwest, but it does provide further evidence that trend yields will be difficult to achieve in a year when they are essential to sustain the balance sheet for corn and beans. And stock futures traded steady to firm ahead of this morning's inflation data. And as we head into the final day of the trading month, the VIX is trading to a fresh three-month low below 22 this morning on easing fears on Wall Street. However, keep in mind this is the final trading day of the month, so that could lead to a bit of erratic movement at times. Let's get a look at the commodity numbers. September corn up 15 and a half at 630 and a half. Beans August up 49 at 16.58 and a quarter. Bean meal August up 20.30 a ton at 5.10. Bean oil August up 287 at 68.71. Wheat Chicago September up 19 and three quarters at 8.36 and three quarters. Kansas City September up 20 and three quarters at 9.10 and a half. And the Minneapolis September wheat that is up 13 and three quarters at 9.41 and three quarters. Well, the Dow right now is up a little over 130 points. The dollar is sitting at 106.3 and crude oil is trading up almost four bucks at just over $100 a barrel. This is AOA. I'm Richard Ristvet. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. I tell you what, if you have looked at the Chicago Board of Trade, the bulls are on parade. I've got a feeling that Greg Solia's weather forecast from the first segment of this show might be an indication to at least part of the reason why we're seeing such a rally. But to get the full story, we are turning to Arlen Suderman. He is the chief commodities economist at StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Good to be back with you, Mike. Yes, things are certainly heating up once again, and we're putting some risk premium back into these markets. Indeed, we are, Arlen. We're heading into the month of August. Of course, it's pollination time. Beans are seeing the biggest end of the rally. Is the weather concern why beans have been running hard so so long this week? Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's a couple of other things, but it's really all about weather. We had essentially removed all of the weather premium in that big commodity liquidation phase we went into in late June and early July. And suddenly we realized, you know, we still got some concerns with these crops. We've got relatively tight balance sheets. We need to see trend yields this year. And suddenly a trend yield looks very difficult to achieve. So the question is now how far below trend will we be? Uh, we're not looking like... We're we're not looking at anything like a 2012. I hear that a lot. Locally, we have some areas of the country that are seeing drought conditions similar to 2012, but nationally, you know, we're not looking at any crop failure like that. 
but we are certainly looking at some adverse conditions coming up. And, and when I drove down 35 of the 30, I-35 corridor from Canada down to Kansas City over the weekend after being up there last week, uh, I noticed how great the crops looked. And I thought, you know, maybe the late pollination is what saved us from that July heat. Uh, but now we're coming right back with the heat. And I was looking this morning at the forecast highs for next week in the state of Iowa. We're looking at upper 90s to low 100s. And then I looked at maybe this is even worse, the overnight lows. As we get into midweek next week, we're looking at overnight lows in Iowa in the mid to upper 70s, getting close to 80 degrees. That's not good at all for the corn. And the other thing I noticed is the soybean crops. And it's not just true in the I-35 corridor. It's a lot of areas in the Midwest. The soybean crop is small this year, so there's a lot of fields that have not canopied. The sun can still get down there and hit the, hit the soil and heat that up. That st starts to lead to some pot abortion there in the bottom of the plants and also uh, adds the stress and, and just uh, qu dries out the soils that much quicker. So, you know, the real question is how long does this last? We are anticipating there will be some showers in there. It's not expected to be a totally dry period for the Midwest as a whole. Even as we look at the end of the week one next week, it looks like there could be a system come through bringing some light showers as this high pressure is starting to get built. And we could even have some retrograding of that uh, high pressure back to the west, allowing some rains into the eastern Midwest. But west of the Mississippi looks like to be ground zero, uh, including Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, maybe parts of South Dakota and Minnesota, where it looks like the crops are going to be stressed. That speeds up the maturity of the corn, decreases kernel size, which hurts in the yield, um, and starts to affect uh, the way the pods set and fill for soybeans as well. It does. And Arlen, all of these factors combine just to change the narrative here in the commodities complex, at least in the grains complex. You mentioned we saw that massive liquidation there in June in the first half of July in commodities. We saw it in crypto. We saw it in equities. Do you think as August gets in gets going here, we're going to see managed money reassess how it's allocating itself in the trades and, and could commodities capture more of that uh, larger dollar base? Yeah, and a lot of and we've talked about this before is when inflation expectations are high, the money tends to flow into the commodities as a hedge against inflation. And we saw that for much of the first half of this year. Uh, but then it started focusing from an inflation to play to a recession play. Expectations of recession in a recession, demand for commodities is expected to go down. So the funds are making these big decisions to liquidate their holdings in the commodities. Well, that's especially true in the energy where people consume less energy in a recession, but not the food-based commodities. They still eat. Surprise, surprise. I know I still eat probably too much in a recession, um, but uh, they're now reassessing this and looking and saying, wait a minute, we still have supply threats out there. We have supply threats for energy. We have supply threats for the food commodities, being in the weather side of things. We still have the Ukraine war, and even though we're seeing some exports maybe starting to move some out of Ukrainian ports, it's still going to be very limited. We've still got a lot of problems in the world, and these commodities are suddenly much cheaper than they were, so it's an opportunity to get in, and even though inflation numbers will probably look better for the month of July when that data comes out next month, we still have not the structural issues that help create those high prices in the first place. And so it gives these funds an opportunity to hedge against inflation at lower levels. And so they are coming back in. We talked about the, what's happening with the grain markets. And crude oil is higher. Yeah, we're back above $100, but it's been kind of consolidating in between $95 and $105 here over the past month. But look at gasoline prices. Gasoline prices are up about 55 cents today from where they were last week on the board. So significant increases in the energy side of things as well. So while the July inflation numbers may moderate when they come out in August, we may be on a path now where those August inflation numbers when they come out in September will be right back up there again.
Oh, boy, more conversations ahead, no doubt, on inflation. Arlen, you said something interesting. We are a week post-agreement between Russia and Ukraine. Do you think or, or are we starting to see some actual physical exports move out of Ukraine? We may see the first ship move out today uh, from a port that I, I'm sorry I can't pronounce. Um, it's, <laughs> but they think they've got things ready, it's loaded up. There's about 17 ships among the various ports in this agreement that are loaded and ready to move. Uh, they've got insurance now. They've started to work that out on Wednesday. They saw an agreement signed to cover an insurance, very expensive insurance on those ships to move out of there. Uh, now they're just waiting for all the pieces to come together. There's some optimism, like I said, that first boat may be able to go today. In Odessa, which is the largest port, we're looking at at least another two weeks to get things ready for ships to be able to move out. And then the third port in the agreement, um, it'll be after that yet. Um, but there's still an awful lot of apprehension. Those ship owners and captains and crews really want to get out of those ports. And when this war started, there were close to 100 ships trapped in the ports. They want to get out. Why not take a load of grain with them? They hope they can make safe passage out. The question is, will they be willing to come back? Will they be able to get insurance to come back? Probably. They'll probably work something out, but it'll be expensive insurance. But will the ship owners really be willing to send their ships back into those waters? And will the crews be willing to go back into those waters? I think that's one of the keys. And there's a big legitimate concern, I think, out there. When you look at the stated objectives that Russia has, for wanting to control those ports in the southern part of Ukraine because they don't want Ukraine getting the revenue from these exports. Um, that's the way they want to starve off Ukraine's economy to get control of Ukraine is the anticipation that as soon as the grain starts moving, Russia will suddenly accuse Ukraine, is kind of the thinking, of violating the agreement somehow and use that as an excuse then to move in and try to take control of those ports and everything could grind to a halt once again. So there's still a lot of apprehension about any significant quantities going out. In a best-case scenario, we'd be looking at about 3 million metric tons going out of their ports on top of the 1 to 1.5 million metric tons going out over land. That's still quite a bit below, even in the best-case scenario, below what they were able to do at their peak exporting seasons prior to the war. And Arlen, to that end, obviously they aren't going to be shipping as much grain. They are not going to be the breadbasket for Europe this year. But we still see the, the U.S. wheat market, the Chicago contract here, acting as though all of this grain is going to make its way onto the global market. Is there more upside here as you look? And I'm just pulling, taking a look at the December Chicago at 847. Still room to run to the upside even if these exports start moving? There is, but again, we're dealing with money flow and perceptions, and sometimes it takes a while. The correlation between U.S. wheat prices and U.S. supply and demand fundamentals tends to be somewhat weak, but we are looking at this strong La Nina, the same one that's giving us a stress over the Midwest, keeping drought in place over the central and southern plains, hard red winter wheat belt. We've got a lot of dryness also with La Nina related in Argentina with their crop. Their crop ratings are very poor now as they approach their spring reproductive season. We still have some problems in Europe and we have some quality problems with the big wheat crop in Russia this year. So, uh, and particularly if corn and soybean prices do go up, I think wheat will respond. We're already looking at increased wheat feeding in the plains because of what's happening with the corn market. Arlen, real quick before we let you go, live cattle trade next week. Do you see the cash bids getting any stronger? Well, that's obviously the hope. Uh, certainly feeder cattle have been under the greatest pressure. We Cash cattle this week were down uh, basically a dollar or so, hoping to get a little bit more strength and firm things up again as we go next week. Lots to keep an eye on there. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex. Arlen, always appreciate your insight, and thanks for joining us today on AOA. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick with us when AOA returns. We're going to be talking with Matt Youngman, show director over at the Farm Progress Show, and Chris Snyder, the marketing and training director at Trelleborg, about the Farm Progress Show coming up almost one month from now. Stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return.
Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. 
Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, folks. And if I sound a little excited, that's because I am. One month from tomorrow is Farm Progress. Show begins August 30th, August 31st, and September 1st in Boone, Iowa. Hopefully, a lot of you have it on your calendars to make your way down to Boone. And if you are planning to attend any one of those three days, we will be broadcasting Agriculture of America live from the Trelleborg booth all three days from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock Central Time, so do be sure to drop by and see us. I'm going to be talking with Chris Neidert. He's the Marketing and Development Training Director there at Trelleborg. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Mike, top of the morning to you. Good to be with you as always. Let's talk about what is going to be on hand there at the Trelleborg booth. What can folks expect to put their hands on, Chris, and see in person? Well, you know, as I say, Super Bowl, and we're going to Trelleborg and Mitas, we have a huge portfolio of ag available, and we're going to have a show, tractor tires, combine tires, sprayer tires, spreader tires, telehandler, trailer radio tires, any kind of ag tire uh, for your equipment, stop by our booth. We're at booth 928 and speak to our experts. We're going to have everybody there, Mike. Booth 928, folks, one of the great things about Farm Progress is the ability ability to see the next generation technology in agriculture, and there will be a lot of that on display. Also joining me in this segment to talk about what is coming to Farm Progress is Matt Youngman. He's the man behind the scenes, keeps everything in line. They're at the Farm Progress show grounds, and Matt, Chris just mentioned, combine tires are going to be on display. I understand that's not the only impressive piece of combine machinery that will be at Farm Progress. You're going to have the potentially world's largest corn head on display? Yeah, that is exactly right. That's exactly right, Mike. I was, I was wondering if you'd bring that up. We, you know, now is the time when the rubber hits the road and the setup has begun. The, uh, the, the tents are going up this week and we're going to have, you know, the reason we're talking about this is because we're actually trying to figure out how to unload the thing. It's going to be a 24 row corn head, a 2430 which means it's 60 feet wide. They're on display at the show. One of the cornhead manufacturers is bringing that in. They're actually manufacturing and selling it internationally, uh, but it, it might be the first time, well, it, it will be the first time at the Farm Progress show and maybe the first time uh, for most of the growers at the event to see a 24-row head. And Matt, the, the scale of that head is incredible. Its weight alone is staggering, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's 18,000 pounds. I'm not sure that there's a combine out there right now that's ready to pick it up. But, you know, it kind of shows the how these things evolve, that things just get bigger and bigger all the time. And, uh, you know, soon there will be combines rated in the U.S. to pick it up and, and, and use that on farms here, here in the United States. Absolutely incredible. A nine ton corn head sitting on top of a probably a class 10 combine. All of that weight coming down, Chris, to rest on those tires. They are a crucial piece of technology. And I'm wondering, how have you seen the technology improve on the tire front to deal with these heavier weights and faster speeds that farm machinery is doing nowadays? Well, Mike, and that's a point because Trellborg and Mitas were always forefront of technology you know speaking of combines we do have our product with what we call cfo technology sickle field operation it lets those tires get into an overload situation while that combine's working so we would uh, please stop into the booth and talk to us that's really interesting on that huge uh, weight head there but uh, we could come in and talk about our tires uh and the capability to handle that 
That is very cool. That's that CFO technology. You will have folks available to discuss that in detail in the booth. And Chris, I understand Trelleborg's not just talking about tires at the booth. You're also going to do some educational seminars. What, soil health, carbon sequestration, regenerative ag? These are some big topics in the ag industry right now. Well, you know, and Mike, that's another good point. Besides tires, we're trying to uh, help the ag industry or make everybody smart. We've got an there we call it the educational area and we're going to have those topics we're actually having panel people come talk i know everybody likes to attend that uh, or listen to those at the farm show along with you being there you know that's our other big draw is mike pearson so we're really excited about what's going to happen uh in the coming uh, at the end of uh, august as you said mike about 30 days away yeah, 30 days. My goodness, it is getting close. And Matt, you know, when you spend the day touring farm progress, a lot of times in my case, my brain is just full. At the end of the day, I've walked several miles. I've talked to CEOs and salespeople and important folks at these at these companies. And oh, I just want to blow off some steam. And sometimes I think a concert might be a good way to do that. Matt, is there any way that you could help me out at Farm Progress this year? You know what? We've got just the thing. We It's like we designed it just for you, Mike. It, Wednesday night, Wednesday at the close of the show, we're going to have a Lee Bryce concert, you know, thanks to a great partnership with Case IH, and they've got a great partnership with Lee. Uh, we, we had him last year, Wednesday night at show close, and it was just a fantastic event. This will be the first time that we've ever had a concert inside the fence there at a Boone Farm Progress show. So really, really excited. I've seen the layout for it. Uh, it's setting up to be just a just a beautiful evening. And, uh, you know, a great chance to, as you say, uh, at the end of Wednesday, they're kind of blow off some steam and, and relax. We're going to, there, there's no additional charge for it. You know, your ticket to the Farm Progress Show gets you into the Lee Bryce concert right there at the end of the day on Wednesday. So I hope everybody's got their calendars marked for Tuesday the 30th, Wednesday the 31st, and Thursday, September 1st. Indeed, folks, get those dates on your calendar. Matt, folks right now can go to the farmprogressshow.com website to get some more information and to get those tickets bought, can't they? That's exactly right. And, and we've got the, the show program is off to the printer, so we're going to start feeding content there to the website from the show program. And you can, you can also follow us on all the social channels as well. We've got all those up and running and starting to, to feed information. So uh, no reason to not get yourself well-informed. Go to the website, check out the map, kind of plan your day out. You know, we haven't been to Boone since 2018, so some things have really shuffled around. They certainly have, folks. Get to that website, farmprogressshow.com. Check out that map. Find booth 928. That is the Trelleborg booth. I will be there with my friend Chris Neidert of Trelleborg. We'll be seeing Matt Youngman around the showgrounds, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm looking forward to Farm Progress 2022. Hopefully, we'll see you there in Boone, folks. And tune in on Monday. We'll talk more agriculture news here on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network.